0: Welcome to News Du Jour. You may be wondering, why am I, Annie Bowles, here hosting this podcast? I usually start by telling people I'm a political baby. You see, my parents met working on Capitol Hill. By the time I was two, I had been in my first political commercial and even got lost crawling around the West Wing. Don't worry, Al Gore found me. My family then moved abroad when I was nine, and I attended an international school in Brussels with kids from all over the world, and it is this type of global perspective that I also bring to our show. I graduated from American University in D.C. after studying political science and art history, as well as interning on both sides of Capitol Hill. I even interned down the hall from where my parents met. I'm now pursuing a professional certificate in journalism at NYU in conjunction with Rolling Stone magazine. I guess I was always that friend in the group who cared deeply about not just what was going on politically, but also globally. I often kept my own friends informed through high school and into young adulthood. So I guess I've always done a version of this show I'm genuinely passionate about following the news, and I'm here to break it down for you guys every weekday. We always strive to be a calmer space to get your news, or as one listener put it, like getting your news from a well-informed bestie. I'm so glad. So by now, you have probably heard the world suffered a massive loss in the likes of Alexei Navalny. While the news was announced on Friday, we do not know when or how exactly his death occurred. In fact, his family feels that it may not even be true, as we have not been able to view or receive his body. The reaction to his murder has led to the highest number of arrests in Russia since the war broke out in Ukraine in 2022. And this is all coming at a time when Putin has never been less popular amongst Russians He took their sons, he took their husbands, he took their fathers, and now he's taken their leader, their one beacon of hope, and really a hope for further stability in the world at large. So today we are going to honor the passing of this behemoth with a vast majority of our episode, a man who faced down tyranny without blinking. But before we jump into that, I do want to cover one smaller story so that you guys are up to date. So I also shared on our Instagram story, so you guys may have seen this already, but Trump was ordered to pay $350 million. So Donald Trump was sentenced to pay a fine of $350 million in court on Friday in his civil case, as was expected. Although the total amount of being paid will actually end up being much higher, closer to like $450 million due to accruing interest that the judge also imposed on Donald Trump. He also banned Trump from practicing business in the state of New York for three years. And that piece was actually somewhat surprising to me as Letitia James had actually asked for Trump to be permanently banned. And it seemed like the judge was going to go for the maximum punishment. Trump's adult sons were also banned from doing business in the state of New York for two years each and also ordered to pay about $4 million each in fines. The justice in this case said Trump's, quote, complete lack of contrition and remorse borders on pathological, end quote. Trump plans to appeal, but even so, he will have to either put up the funds, in total, or secure bond within 30 days of this decision, which happened again on Friday. What's more, the Trump Organization will continue to be monitored by an outside organization to basically censor for fraud or oversee any transactions that they deem to be suspicious. And that has already been going on, but it's going to be extended as they appeal. We'll definitely keep you guys posted. So I'm definitely considering putting together like a sort of like timeline and um, breakdown of all of Trump's different cases, because it seems like in my DMs, some of you guys were shocked by this decision. And when we've been talking about on the podcast, it is not shocking. Like this judge did not like Trump. It was always pretty clear that he was going to rule you know, in favor of Letitia James, like this was one that was kind of a closed book. So I'm going to try and put that together just so that you guys can understand a little bit further, you know, which case we're talking about and not get to not get them all confused because there's a lot going on. I also wanted to let you guys know that tomorrow we are having a bonus episode. That is my interview with a Georgetown University student. So I hope you guys will listen to that. Um, She just asked me a bunch of questions that I typically get asked when I'm interviewed. And I thought maybe you guys would be curious to know the answers. Things like how do I pick which stories to cover and how I got started doing this work in the first place. So I hope you guys enjoy that episode. Again, it's going live tomorrow morning. But without further ado, we are going to jump into the Alexei Navalny murder and exactly who he was, how he rose to prominence, and how he got to the point where he was threatening Putin so much that Putin needed to have him killed. Let's jump in. Content warning, this story includes murder and graphic details. So our audience size doubled in the wake of the Israel-Hamas war. So I have to assume that there are a number of you out there who do not know the depths of my obsession with Russian community leader Alexei Navalny. I studied Russian history in school, and I've covered elements of Russian history here on this podcast, like the Road of Bones episode, which is a bonus episode, for example. It's still live. You guys can listen to that if you'd like to. It's just further down in our feed. But from what I can see, Russians have never seen a day of fairness, genuine leadership or freedom in their very long history. The Russian people have been fearless enough to overthrow several waves of autocracy from the Tsars, Lenin, Stalin and, you know, Soviet rule generally, just to name a few. I have been to Russia bringing home a delicate, deep purple nesting doll after Spending days touring, you know, glorious palaces and intricately adorned cathedrals, pointy tips gracefully piercing the clouds. Russians have a beautiful culture, you guys. They have strength beyond belief, and they have always been deserving of a better government than what they've had. And Alexei Navalny knew this. He knew it so much more intimately than I ever could. But the problem was, he was fearless enough to stand up and say it, to put his name next to that statement. Alexei, much like myself, began his political journey as a blogger. So here is where we will start our story time how did we get to the point where Putin killed him in cold blood? He must have been a formidable opponent for Putin to waste his breath. So how did Navalny rise to the level where he was facing off directly with Vladimir Putin? Let's jump in. So Navalny, like I said, started out as a blogger, During his time working as an attorney, he had uncovered corruption within major oil and gas companies like Gazprom and Rosneft. He took to his blog to expose this corruption. And as you can imagine, this did not earn him much appreciation among those big names who were running those companies. But the people admired and followed his truth-finding mission and they spread the word. So then Navalny founded an anti-corruption project that would take on these companies in court. Now, it's Russia, so there's only so much you can do through the court system, as it is, of course, tied into the corruption that plagues Russians. His project underwent a rebrand at one point, and then he began taking aim higher up the food chain moving from business leaders to political ones. Because at the end of the day, the buck stops there. Companies are only as corrupt as a government allows them to be. He essentially then acted as a community organizer, coordinating and participating in mass protests and other acts of defiance. And throughout his work, political leaders decided that they had had enough of him, and they launched two different baseless embezzlement investigations against him, which he fought. Navalny then runs for mayor of Moscow. This catapults him further into the spotlight, but his opponents actually liked that this time because it made their incumbent seem more legitimate and brought more interest to the race because usually these races don't have an actual opponent. Prior, everyone was too scared to go up against this guy. You have to remember that these corrupt leaders often maintain their power through force. Many Russians find it easier to simply stay out of things in an effort to survive but not Navalny. He was then convicted of his embezzlement charges, which, you know, surprise, surprise, Russia has a 99% plus conviction rate. He was sentenced to five years in prison, but allowed to stay home during his appeal and continue his political campaign. Again, his opponents liked that he was running. But he loses, as expected. These political races in Russia are not legitimate. Eventually, Navalny appeals his case to the European Court of Human Rights. Meanwhile, he started a YouTube channel that garners tens of millions of views, exposing other corrupt leaders in Russia. He began taking on the highest leaders in the country, including the prime minister. But then in 2018, with his mayoral race over, Navalny runs for president against you-know-who knowing he will not win, but he is making an effort to draw attention to the corruption by showing his fundraising and his popularity up against that of Putin. And this is where things get bad. Putin is not someone you want as an opponent. In 2017, Navalny had a green corrosive substance thrown in his face, damaging his vision in his right eye. But that same year, the European Human Rights Courts tossed out his case, saying that it was manifestly unreasonable, meaning he had literally done nothing wrong. Russian leadership then retaliates by banning him for running for president. But this only served to draw more attention to the cause. Europe began paying even closer attention to the situation in Russia than ever before. Protests broke out and Navalny developed other tactics, such as smart voting, quote unquote, which was encouraging his followers to vote for anyone other than Putin's party. And it worked. They actually lost the majority. So by 2020, Navalny was simply too powerful for Putin. Navalny was on a plane when the flight had to make an emergency landing in Berlin, rushing Navalny to the hospital. He had been poisoned and he fell into a coma. The agent used was a Soviet-era namesake, leaving Putin's fingerprints all over this attack. It's like he wanted Navalny to know he had done it. But Navalny made a miraculous recovery, which would not have happened had the pilot not been able to land when he did. This was the biggest turning point in Navalny's life, I guess you could say it was like a fork in the road. There's either run and hide because your literal life has been threatened or walk right into the lion's den and face it head on. And if you know anything about Navalny, if you've watched a documentary, this wasn't a choice for this man. This was the decision that ultimately led to Navalny's demise. He boarded a plane for Russia. He was not to be scared off he was not going to hide from his homeland. He was not going to leave his people. So holding hands with his wife, he flew home. He was arrested at the airport where press, police, and supporters alike were waiting for him. He kissed his wife goodbye, and that was the last time that Navalny walked free. He was taken into custody where he was maltreated from the outset, telling his attorneys that prison leaders were deliberately putting him in cells with sick inmates and using other tactics such as the cold and lack of nutrition to wear him down in ways that would appear less suspicious. Eventually, he was transferred to the highest security prison again after doing literally nothing wrong above the Arctic Circle. This is where he died. Reports claimed that he was simply walking with guards in a courtyard when he collapsed and died. But Navalny left us with a clear message, quote, listen, I've got something very obvious to tell you. You're not allowed to give up. Even if they decide to kill me, it means that we are incredibly strong, end quote. I know in the grand scheme of so many people dying in Gaza, so many hostages still being held, the death of one man seems so inconsequential, especially when he knowingly walked into the hands of his captors and eventual killers, aware that they wanted him dead, having just survived an assassination attempt. But his death is bigger than just one man. The minute I heard this news, I was stuffing my face at lunch and had to stop eating because I thought I was physically going to be sick. My appetite was gone, replaced with a massive knot in my stomach. I knew he was in danger. I knew we hadn't heard from him in weeks. I knew he was being deliberately mistreated. But I also knew this would change everything. I felt like I had a lot riding on this man and I'm not even Russian. I naively believed with so many eyes on him that Putin couldn't stand to kill him, that it would incite the kind of revolt the likes of which Russia has not seen since the days when entire royal families were gunned down in a basement. But now we're going to have to watch and see if it will. Russians are already carrying on Navalny's tradition of peaceful protest in the face of corruption. At least 400 people have been detained across the country following the news of his murder and many are laying flowers at the Russian Wall of Grief for his death. This is a spot that Navalny frequented for gatherings and the monument itself actually commemorates a fallen Russian activist who was imprisoned. A young man asked a New York Times reporter at the wall, quote, please don't forget that there are still many good people in this country, end quote. And I believe that with my whole soul. Russia is a rich and beautiful country. But with a leader like Putin, I mean, he's done nothing but dim her light. The beauty of Russia lies within her people. But the problem is Putin knows that, and he's doing everything he can to tampen their spirit, hold her down, and snatch power globally, systemically holding it hostage, as he has always done in Russia. One story I came across in my research for the Russia Road of Bones episode I thought was super interesting and sort of relevant here. In politics, there's always a lot of drinking that occurs, and I would imagine in Russia it may occur even more abundantly than here in the U.S. But I heard that Putin never drinks. Since he was a novice, he has always liked to sit in the corner of the room and soberly observe. This is how he has calculated everyone's weaknesses and how precisely to take them down. He is paranoid. Spiteful, and after his interview with Tucker Carlson that we covered on Friday, it seems more than ever that he's out of touch with reality. But it is up to the Russian people, solely up to them, whether or not Putin will pay for what he did to their hero up there on the ice. But I have a feeling that Navalny's tall figure, handsome face, and bright blue eyes will haunt Putin's palaces at night. His work was left unfinished but his legacy will linger. Navalny leaves behind a wife, two children, his parents, a brother who fought beside him, and a country who loved him to mourn. Doing this man justice at the time of his death has weighed heavy on my shoulders today, but I am hoping that this shows you guys the significance of his death, that with him... The hope for a nation dies. Only Russia isn't just about Russia. It's actually about all of us. Our collective safety is actually tied up in this because Putin would like nothing more than to see the whole world bent to his will. And while Navalny, one man, could never have stopped a juggernaut like Putin on his own, he was the best hope for defeating Putin internally. Like I said, it's hope. That has died with Navalny. But just like my purple nesting dolls or a deep Russian purple amethyst hidden in an outer shell, Russia has cracked herself open and given birth to new waves of transformation for generations. From the barren Siberian tundras to the dense darkness of the boreal forests to the coasts of the Caspian Sea, Russia will have to look within herself and decide who she wants to be for tomorrow. And crack herself open yet again. Just as a reminder, American journalist Evan Gersovich from The Wall Street Journal has been wrongfully jailed in Russia for over 250 days. And that is the news du jour. Today, I wanted to leave you guys with a song. Street. See it straight. that was Fix You by Coldplay. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on whatever podcast platform you use to listen. A rate and review on that platform or a shout out on social media would mean the world to us and help us to be able to keep creating the news du jour and reach more people who need a calmer space to consume the news. But the best way to support all of our work is to become a patron at www.patreon.com forward slash media. And that is also linked in our show notes. You can follow us on social media at newsdujour.podcast on both Instagram and TikTok. You can follow my personal account at itsannybowls on both platforms as well. Any little noises you may hear in the background are my rescue pup. He has a little separation anxiety and always records with me. We appreciate you listening and look forward to telling you about the news again next time on News Du Jour. Broadcasting from. Oh.